Very good. Go ahead and take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a bunch on that table right there. Larry's got a few in his hands. So go ahead and put your hand in the air. He'd be happy to bring you a copy this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and take that. That's our gift to you. You can you can take that and you can uh, you can have it. Or if you just simply need a new copy, that's, that's fine too. Go ahead and grab it and use it. The stand is... Moving down. Awesome. There we go. So Matthew chapter 6 this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34 this morning. A relatively large chunk of text, but one that is centered around the idea of anxiousness. Anxiousness is something that is probably pretty prevalent in our society. It's something that we think about or that we probably experience in our day-to-day. Uh, most of us are anxious about something, and maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling a significant amount of anxiety about something going on in your life, something going on in your world, um, something that falls outside of the, what the text is talking about, something that falls outside of your control. Our desire as people is oftentimes to be in control, and so anxiety is an issue of control. And that's why Jesus' words are so clear here. We're going to read these in a minute, but this is why his words are so clear here. Last week, like we talked about when we talked about treasuring Jesus, Especially in verse 21, where Jesus says to his followers, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He wants his followers to have an understanding that he is the greatest treasure. That he is the most important thing that you can dedicate your life to um, and give of your time, energy, and effort. And so when we come to this text this morning, there's a natural flow. It flows out of this idea of treasuring Jesus and making him the most important, putting him in first place in your life. And seeing things clearly to a position where we're feeling anxious about daily needs. But because we're feeling anxious, or the reason why we're feeling anxious about daily needs is that we're focusing primarily on the temporary. We're focused primarily on things that are a mirage or an illusion. We need to step outside of these things and begin to see uh, the truth and the trajectory of where our lives are going. And so just as treasuring things, treasuring material, or our talents, or our time, or whatever it might be, treasuring things other than Jesus is an issue of, or is an illusion, or a mirage, so is, so is control. And so Jesus wants us to show us that. Our society talks about control a lot. It's kind of like a power word, right? We talk about control, we talk about controlling our, our destiny, we talk about controlling our future, we talk about controlling our finances, or our journey. And it's hard to hear what Jesus is about to say to us. And I think as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen that he is not interested in giving us easy things to think about, but difficult things. Maybe not in the fact that they're not straightforward, but difficult in the fact that they run contrary or counter to the way that we think in general. At least in the way that the world thinks. And so we're trying to, we're, we're trying to move towards a deeper understanding of who God is and what Jesus has done for us. And this will allow us to do that this morning. The Sermon on the Mount really is about what it means to be a kingdom citizen. To live in line with the identity that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be a person who who has been redeemed, who has been bought, who has been purchased by the blood of Jesus? And so maybe you're thinking to yourself as we look at this text and as we started out thinking about anxiety, maybe you think to yourself, I'm not an anxious person in general. I'm not an anxious person in general. I'm pretty go with the flow. I'm I'm not, things that are outside of my control, I'm not too worried about them. I don't worry too much about 
the future or things or, or whatever. I'm, I'm a pretty simple person. And I think I'd say that the heart of this passage is not just don't, don't be anxious about your life like Jesus says in verse 25. But I think the heart of this passage is again what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about motivations. It's about the position of your heart and where you're at. And so this morning as we're moving even to the Lord's table, we're beginning to think about our heart and where our heart stands before God. And the motivations that stand behind the things that we think and the actions that we take and the things that we do. And again, the heart of this passage, not just simply a, not just simply a do not statement. Do not be anxious about your life. But do not be anxious because your heavenly Father has everything in control. And remember, there's this, there's, this, there's this do not, but then there's always the kindness extended to you and understanding of what is actually going on. What is actually going on in our reality that contributes to the fact that we don't need to be anxious. Why do we not need to be anxious, Jesus? Because our Heavenly Father has all of our needs under His control. And so if we say, well, maybe I'm not an anxious person, and maybe, maybe it's actually an issue of burying your head in the sand. And that might be an issue of control also. I want to control my life, and when I can't, I just give up and ignore realities. That's a real part of this text. Because kingdom citizens, who Jesus is talking to in the Sermon on the Mount, they don't ignore realities. Jesus is very clear about this. They don't ignore the reality of the world that's going on around them. They don't ignore the fact that we're prone to be influenced by the world. Rather, we understand and have a deeper understanding that we as a people need to treat our realities with truth. We need to address the issues that we come into come in contact with every day, whether it be external or internal heart issues. We need to address those with truth. So the truth is then a salve for our, our dried up souls. Now, this time of year, my skin, I'm sure yours too, gets super dry and my skin starts to crack, especially my hands. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. But like that happens, especially around my thumbs. They start to dry up and crack and it hurts like crazy. It hurts like really bad. And like I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh no. But like, and so what, I, what happens is when I control, when I, when I want to, uh, when I want to prevent that from happening, right? I could just ignore the pain and I could move throughout the course of my day and just ignore it. But every time, it's kind of almost impossible though, because every time I like hit the space bar on my, my computer, it's like, ow. And, and then, and then what, what I do is I think to myself, boy, I should really do something about that, but then I never really do. So what I've been doing is just slathering my hands with Vaseline before I go to bed. And that's, that's actually helping. And in the same way, our souls get dried up because of the realities of the world come in at its hard and they come at its fast. And our souls get dried up because we don't treat them with the salve of truth. We don't treat them with the Vaseline that our hands desperately need. We need Vaseline for our souls. That sounds weird. But we need Vaseline for our souls. We need to, we need to, be, we need to be well cared and tended for um, by treating the realities of our lives with truth. And so Jesus is going to give us the truth here that we need to treat our dried up souls that are anxious about, that is anxious about many, many different things. We don't bury our head in the sand when things are outside of our control and say, I'm not anxious. We treat the realities with truth. We, we understand and know exactly what's going on, see it through the lens of Scripture, and then apply the truth to our weary souls. So let's read this text together, verses 25 through 34. Jesus says to his followers, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink? Nor about your body. What will you put on? Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's a lot here. There's a lot in this text. So we're gonna we're not gonna take we're we're gonna bite off a little bit of this, um, but this is something that I would encourage you to really meditate on this week. To take time to process through exactly what Jesus is saying to his followers here, um, what he's saying to us, what he's speaking to us, those people who are tend to have a tendency to be anxious because things that fall outside of our control. And again, we're working towards the Lord's table this morning. We want to keep that in view throughout this all, all, all as well. So this morning, as we think about this text in particular, I'm just going to give you two ideas. We're actually going to break them off at the same time, just because this is what pastors do, and I just start speaking in, in uh, alliteration, control and contentment. Control and contentment. I, I guess that's just how things shake out after time. Um, so we're going to treat our souls then with this truth. Control and contentment. So Jesus, again, like we said, gives us another to-do statement in verse 25. He gives us another to-do statement, or not to-do-do-not to statement in verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body that you will put on or what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He says, do not worry about your life. And he gives this list of perceived needs that we have, right? Food, drink, health, clothes. And it's a rhetorical question here that causes us pause, right? When he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This is a rhetorical question. But it should make us think, is it? It should cause us to stop and say, what, what is life about? What is the body? And I was this out of this rhetorical question, we ask that question, is it? Now, for some of us here, we need to hear exactly what Jesus is saying. Because this is where our hang-ups are. Food, clothing. And some of us, it's a result of access. For, for sure, for Jesus' followers, it's a result of access to these things. It was a result of, of, of what is it that I need day-to-day -to, -day to live? And so when he asks us that to is that the life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's talking about the access that they have to these things. Can I get food, the food that's necessary for me to be sustained? Will my body heal if I get sick or if I'm injured? My clothing is old and worn. Where can I get more? This is where the minds of his followers would have gone. Can I have these things? Where, are, where can I get these things? And so they would feel anxious because for many of them, this fell outside of their control. They didn't have means to they didn't have means to, 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 to get these things regularly. 
I mean, for some of us, just like Jesus' disciples, it is a matter of access, but I would submit to you probably in our society, it's more of a matter of excess. Not just access, but excess. I prefer this dietary regimen. Or I want my body to look that way or feel this way. Or I want my freedom to buy these $80 jeans. And this is excess, right? These things are exactly what we feel anxious over, and yet it's not access to these things, but the excess in them. So some of us struggle with these examples, but for others of us, it's something different altogether. Uh, do people like me or approve of me? I just ask this question a lot. Do people like me or approve of me? Can I advance in my career? Can I just have some peace and quiet? Think about that one a lot. Three kids. Can I just have some peace and quiet? And Jesus asks the question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Because he wants his followers to see that there is something more than self-preoccupied control over small things. So he appeals, where does he go? He, doesn't, he, he appeals then to nature. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. Even the smallest of creatures, they get fed. The smallest of creatures are taken care of. Why? Because your heavenly Father feeds them. Because your heavenly Father feeds them. This is a matter of priority. Jesus is making an argument from priority. He's saying, now sometimes, you say, I prioritize you higher than the birds of the air, and yet they eat. And the lilies of the field, yet they are arrayed. Even in more glory than Solomon. Small creatures get fed. Seemingly insignificant things are cared for. So this is a matter of priority. Now, now we're bad at prioritizing. I'm, I'm bad at prioritizing. Certainly guilty of this. And the clearest place is to is probably my marriage. It's probably the clearest place to see it. Because I'm concrete, sequential, I like things in a particular order. I like things to, to come down in a particular way throughout my day. And I like to order it. And I like tasks. And I like checklists. And I like the way that things come, come together. And when they come together, I feel a sense of accomplishment. And it's great. I can check boxes and see immediate results. But there is one place in my life where it is so apparent that that doesn't work. And that's in my marriage. Because my wife is not that way. And so, so like, so I can pour and invest and pour and invest, and, and I can't see the, the checkboxes being hit. Right? For us who are married, we know this is true. Men, we know that's true. We know that most of us are probably more in, in line with a, a place where we like, to, we like to fix things, we like to see things happen, we like immediate results, and our wives just aren't that way. They're not that way. That's not the, the way God has wired, wired them. So instead, I opt for a, a results-oriented task, and I fail to prioritize properly. So I'll go to my to-do list sometimes before I'll sit down and encourage my wife or just listen to her. And I'll go and I'll, I'll say, hey, I can just get this thing done in this moment rather than spend significant time um, or quality time with her. But where I fail to prioritize properly, as seen clearly in my marriage, God never fails to prioritize properly. That's Jesus' argument here. He never fails to prioritize properly. He says, are you not of more value than these small, insignificant things? Are you not of more value? The answer, again, rhetorical question is yes. You are of more value. In verse 26, right at the end, are you not of more value than they, than the birds of, of the air? So God never fails to prioritize properly. He always gets it right. Jesus asks, 
Are you not of more value today? And God acts in perfect accordance to his values. We say that we have values, but oftentimes we, we rarely act according to the things that we say that we value. God doesn't misprioritize. He sees you. He sees his image bearer. He sees his child, and he acts based upon that. He hasn't called the birds of the air or the lilies of the field his children. He's called you his child. He hasn't placed his image on the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. He's placed his image on you. He didn't send his son to spill his blood to bring lilies and birds back to relationship with him. You have more value than these small things. These things are cared for. Therefore, you will be cared for. Friends, and this is the, the truth that is the salve for our souls. God acts perfectly in accordance with his values. Every single time where I fail to prioritize, God never fails to prioritize. God is perfectly for you. He does not waver. He doesn't say, I'm going to do one thing and then do something different. He always acts perfectly according to his word, faithfully. This is the faithfulness of God. When he says something, he acts perfectly in accordance with it. And there's nothing that can prevent him from being 100% for you as his child. If you are in Christ, there is nothing that can prevent God from being 100% for you. Everything that happens to you is 100% your best for you. How can that be? How can that be? Friends, your feelings, your perceptions, they're polluted by sin and at times are deceptive. How you feel in a particular situation does not dictate truth. Let me say that again. How you feel in a particular situation does not dictate truth. And that's a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing because my feelings ebb and flow go up and down with weather patterns. They do. Or that negative interaction that I had at the grocery store. My, my, my feelings are dictated by small small insignificant interactions that I have throughout my life or, the, or a high pressure system. This is not the way that God is. He is not subject to the elements of the world. He acts 100% faithfully and he's 100% for us all the time. Every single moment of every single day, God is 100% for us. Again, not dictated by external situations. The truth of God, who God is and his commitment to us does not change based on external things. Where do we get this? We get this from this text in particular, but also from Romans 8, 28 through 32. Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 28 again. And we know that, the, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not some things, not every once in a while, not when God feels like it, 
but all things, all the time, work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so when we move through this text, then, when we feel like God has failed to prioritize our good, we must respond by recalling this text and letting it transform us. We must respond by going to Romans 8.32, where Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We must go to what Jesus tells his followers in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. He is communicating to us that we are of more importance, that his priority is us. He is never not for us. He is always for us. We cannot question his goodness shown to us. If there was ever a shadow of a doubt in God's mind about any of this, he would not have sent his son. He would not have sent his son to bring us back into right relationship with him if there was ever a shadow of a doubt in his mind. So we ask the question, is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Are you not more than you eat? Are you not more than you wear? Are you not more than your kid's behavior? Are you not more than the professional accomplishments you've made? Are you not more than your retirement account? Are you not more than places you've traveled or your car or your boat or your house? Absolutely, 100%, resoundingly, yes, 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 you are more, a million times, yes. But your value is because of who God is and what he said about you. He has given you value. This value is not in it. God says you have value, so you have value, and therefore God values you. God says you are loved, so you are lovable, and therefore God loves you. Hands open, nothing you can do about that. You will not earn, not prove, not achieve, but the glory to God, glory, glory be to God and His saving work on your behalf in Christ Jesus. Because all of this is true about you and more. And so, feeling this value, right? Understanding that this is true about who we are. This is not something that we regularly go to. <laughs> It's not something to think about, sit around and think about our own value, to think about our own worth. That doesn't, that doesn't give us a, a clearer picture of how God sees us, to think about who we are. To give us a clearer picture of who, what God sees us as, or who God sees us, is to think about the one who says that you have value. And that one is Christ Jesus. He says it in this text. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than the birds and the lilies? And that's the question. Are you? Again, yes. The answer is yes. But if you reflect on your value, if you reflect on your value and think that it's innate, you will undoubtedly, you will undoubtedly come to a place where you find out that you're not valuable. I can't believe I said that to that person, or I can't believe I lost it with my kids again. I can't believe that I continue to sin in this way, looking at women lustfully, longing after worldly things, ignoring people in need, gossiping about coworkers. I can't believe I continue to act this way. And then you will say, how can God value me? Look at these horrible things that I've done. But if you reflect on your value, that value that comes from God, comes from an external source, comes from your creator, you will see that it is because he says you have value that you have value. And he did not say that you have value and leave it at a thought, but he acted on it. Again, he acted on the fact. He said, you have value, and then he acts on it. He sends his son to die, and he brings us back to him. 
If we look inwardly to find value, we will become legalists. If we look inwardly to become or to the value that we have to find value, we will become legalists because there is always something that we can do better. Because there is always a way that we can improve. And by doing so, you think I can I can elevate my value. But if you look to the one who has said you have value, you will see that all you have is a free gift. Sure, you could be better. But if you don't trust in getting better, you trust in the one who perfectly obeyed. So we should take note. We should take note. When we say that something has value, we should act as if it has value. Just like God, just as image bearers, act as the which we say has value, has value. We must mirror our God when we say we have value and then go to great lengths to buy us back. So if you claim something has value, your marriage, kids, local church, Bible, we must act on it. Otherwise, we prove that it truly has no value to us. So let's trace what Jesus has said so far. We've just covered a few verses here, but let's trace it. He says, do not be anxious. Why? Because the care, because cares for things with lesser value than you, and you have great value. Now, we see that there's a positive action that he gives us flowing out of this. What is it that we should do then, Jesus? We look at verse 33. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And what does that look like? What does that look like? What does verse 33 mean? It means give yourself to everything that Jesus commanded up until this point in the Sermon on the Mount. Live like kingdom citizens. Live a life that is showing the world what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we have to ask the question then when we look at this, are we seeking our own kingdom or are we seeking God's? Our kingdom might have earthly power, prestige, resources, influence. That might be our kingdom, but it lacks in one big thing. It has no longevity. It will burn up and blow away. It will not be, extend beyond your 80, 90, 100 trips around the sun. It will come to an end. But the kingdom Jesus wants you to seek is one of your Father. That in the here and now comes with a lot of difficulty. It comes with a, a, an extraordinary amount of difficulty. It doesn't promise possessions. It doesn't promise comfort. It doesn't promise status. It doesn't promise wealth. It doesn't promise that every one of your desires will be met in every moment. But the words, I wish I had this or I wish I had that, will never come out of our mouth in eternity because all of our desires will be satisfied in the full extent. So that here and now, we look to them. We look to what's coming. So as we move through this text, and when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, the question that naturally flows out of this, do we want to seek our broken temporary kingdom or God's complete eternal kingdom? And Jesus says, seek the kingdom of heaven. And it impacts our moment-to-moment life. Because we don't get the kingdom of God by ourselves. We don't get there. The inheritors of the kingdom are not the powerful, most well-thought-of, rich people, but quite the opposite. They're recipients of grace. Jesus says, don't be anxious, because the greatest thing that you can obtain can't be earned, bought, or controlled. And all you can do is trust. 
Believe, turn from your sin, and trust that God has made a way for you in Christ Jesus. And when you trust God, you put your anxiety in the rearview mirror. That's what this text is about. Look at verse... Uh, where am I? Gotta lay my eyes on it. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass and the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He addresses his followers as those of little faith because this is an issue of trust. Am I trusting in God? What he is promising me here in this text, do I see it clearly? Do I believe that it is true? Do I believe that he will care for me? Do I believe that he has given me value? And so this impacts our moment to moment. We trust God. We put our anxiety behind us. All our daily needs, he'll, be, he'll take care of those too. And maybe you say, well, my needs aren't being met. That probably has less to do with God's provision for you and more with your definition of need. My needs aren't being met. Think about what we mean by needs. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this. After he has been following Christ for a long time, the disciple of Jesus will ask, Lack ye anything? And he will answer, Nothing, Lord. How could he... How could he, when he knows that despite hunger and nakedness, persecution and danger, the Lord is always at his side? It is when we trust God fully that we find complete satisfaction. When we give up the futile quest for control that we find contentment. So this morning, what does this mean for us, right? What does anxiety mean for us? What is this, what is what Jesus says about anxiety mean for us? And what does it mean that we feel like anxious people regularly? Um this, this thought is, con is, is contained within a larger context of what Jesus is talking about here. What it means to be kingdom citizens, yes, but also what it means to, to live according to all the promises of God. Many of us are trusting a lot of different things in our day-to-day -day life. Many of us are trusting that bank account. Or many of us are trusting our abilities to wake up and to, to perform physical labor. Many of us are trusting the way that we can, we can, we can accumulate or, or set aside money for retirement. And so 2017, we, there's like six weeks left in 2017. It's not very much. 2018 is right around the corner. And so like what we want to do is I want to challenge you this coming year to look, this, this next year, it should look dramatically different based on what we're reading here. We're talking about New Year's resolutions. That's what we're talking about. When I'm talking about living in step with the identity that Jesus has given us. And many of us are saying that we're following Jesus, but we're rarely ever putting our money where our mouth is. So yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but just like last, last week when we talked about, are we saying that Jesus is our Savior, not our Lord? Are we not willing to submit to everything that He's commanded to us because of certain areas that we want to control for ourselves? And when our control begins to slip away, that's where we begin to feel anxious. Because God has said, trust me in that even. Even in that. So what we need to do this upcoming year is understand and work towards understanding and operating in the context of our identity that we have in Jesus. And if we're going to put our money where our mouth is, we cannot ignore Christians in the local church. We cannot ignore the fact that we love money and make it our God. We cannot ignore that we feel constant anxiety over daily needs when Jesus says clearly they're going to be taken care of. 
So what I would encourage you to do is go home and look at your calendar. Look at your calendar with your spouse. Look at 2018. This is where you're no, no longer going to seek to control your environment or other people or your financial position, but you're actually going to trust God and seek His kingdom first the way that He's called you to. And you allow anxiety to rule because what if it doesn't happen the way I want it to or what if I don't meet this financial goal or obligation? And you fear that illusion of control is slipping away. Or maybe you've buried your head in the sand because life is hard and you can't control it and you understand that. So you're living in a dream world. So just one practical thing, one practical thing in 20, 2018, a few weeks away, why don't you just start now? Why are we waiting for 2018? Commit more to less. Commit more to less. Many of us are stretched way too thin. Many of us are committed to way too many different things and stretched way too thin. We need to find fewer things that we can commit to on a deeper level and really invest in. We need to create margin and use that margin to build into studying God's Word, to prayer, and to people. We need to commit to studying God's Word and stop making excuses, start reading the Bible together. You have a ton of resources here. Maybe we just tell you, women, okay, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it. Women, my wife is an incredible resource. My wife knows her Bible inside and out. Like, I want to encourage you women, come, come talk to my wife. My wife can encourage you in a way, uh, just in an incredible way, not because of who she is, but because of the way that Jesus has transformed her life. Because of the way that she has, she has seen the truth of what's contained in God's Word, the way that she can communicate it is incredible. So let's, let's do it together. Let's read the Bible together. If you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what this book is about and why it's here, and I have no idea what you're talking about, women, come talk to my wife. Man, come talk to me. Like, I long to read the Bible with you. It's really what I want to do. Like, I would give up every other thing throughout the course of my week if I could sit down with each and every one of you and write, read, read the Bible together. Because this is God's Word given to us. The reason we don't dedicate our time to it is because we don't believe what it is. We don't think that this is God's Word revealed to us. He's given us everything here that we need to know about who He is. And we, we sit on our hands, men in particular, and we say, I don't like to read. I'm just not a reader. If Jesus were to walk into this room, I've given this example before, if Jesus were to walk in this room and say, and say to us, hey, I've got something to say to you. We would say, sorry, Jesus, I'm not a listener. We wouldn't do that. This might not be your preferred form of information intake, but this is not just information intake. This is a formational book. This is meant to form us into the image of Jesus. This is not just meant to give us a whole host of information about, about a handful of different things or how to live my life. If you approach your Bible and you just say to yourself, you approach this text and you say, what can I get out of this? You're never going to get anything out of it. But if you approach this and say, I need to know God more. And in light of that, I need to know who I am. And then I need to know, lastly, what it is that I need to do. If you approach the text in that sort of way, you will walk out of it a transformed person. We want to read our Bibles together. Committing more to less means committing more to the Word of God. Committing ourselves to prayer also means don't approach your day without, without talking to God, without seeking God. Don't approach your Bible without the power to read it. Don't approach decisions without asking God for guidance. 
We want to control outcomes, but we rarely go to God and ask. We must realign our heart with God through prayer every day. We must commit ourselves finally then to people, more to less. We must commit ourselves to people. We cannot be living as kingdom citizens unless we're showing others what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what it means. What it means to be a kingdom citizen is to show others what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I would submit to you that the reason we avoid people is because we can't control them. We feel anxious about social situations. I feel anxious about social situations because I can't control what people say. I can't. I can't control what people do. And so my tendency is to withdraw. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel anxiety over social situations because you can't control people. But Jesus is saying that's not what, the, that's not what this is about. This is not about control. This is about trust. And so we need to trust God. We need to take steps into deeper relationship with other people. It might be awkward. Guaranteed it's going to be awkward. That's nothing to fear. Maybe they'll say something mean to us or we'll say something mean to them. But the fact of the matter is that there are thousands of people in our city who need to hear the truth of who Jesus is. They need to hear about Jesus and what he's done for them. And our fears about awkwardness and social anxiety, those things are to be put on the back burner because we're trusting Jesus. Because we're trusting God to provide our Father, to provide for all of our needs. And God is unequivocally always for us. 100% all of the time. So it may be awkward, you may say something stupid, but it's not about you. It's about the Spirit of Christ who's operating in you. Maybe there are people in this room this morning who need to hear the truth of the Gospel. Maybe they believe, but maybe they've wandered. You'd be ready and prepared and willing to speak the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done for you in any given moment. And if that doesn't make sense to you, we'd love to talk to you more about that. So what we need to do is stop making it about us. It's easy to sign up our kids for activities. It's easy to commit to organizations and activities. It's really hard work to get to know somebody. It's really hard work to care about the hearts of others. So again, commit more to less. As we think about the anxious people that we are, the control that we want to have over our day-to-day, the lack of trust, we're the ones of little faith that Jesus talks about. As we think about that, as we think about the anxiety that we have, we must begin to understand that in a lot of instances, it's not so much about the fact that, that we don't have what we need or we're equipped in the way that we are, but because we desire just to have control. So commit more to less. Go deeper in the next year, starting today. Let's go deeper. Let's commit to studying God's Word together. Commit ourselves to prayer. Commit ourselves to people. We need to stop trying to be in control. We need to be content. There's this question, right? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The answer again is yes, absolutely. Praise Jesus. Yes, it is. The life, life is more than food. It is, the body is more than clothing. And then as we finish up in this text and as we move to the Lord's table this morning, we have to see that Jesus is the one that makes this all possible. That he is our supreme example, but not only is he our example, he's the one who made this all possible. And we see the gospel so clearly here. In a call to not be anxious, we see the gospel so clearly. God says you have value so much that he sent his son to die. Before Christ, you are incapable 
of being who you were meant to be. You are 100% incapable. No amount of striving, no amount of effort on your part could ever make you the person that God intended you to be. But in Christ, you are all that God intends for you. You're a little mirror of God. You're reflecting His glory. You're an image bearer. You're showing the world who God is and what the kingdom of heaven is like. Do we do that perfectly? No. No. Absolutely not. We don't do that perfectly. But our hope isn't in doing it perfectly. Our hope is in the one who did it perfectly. Our hope is in Christ Jesus, the one who went to the cross on our behalf. So as we're going like, to turn our attention to the table this morning, we're going to think about the sacrifice. We're going to think about the fact that Jesus was crucified on our behalf. Because the value that was innate, because he said that we have value. And so he values us. And he sent his son to die on our behalf. 